Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah, there was even a rumor about Mudrich. I remember speaking to some contacts saying that Brentford was super close to signing him. Was that true? Obviously, I know he's at Chelsea now. But that would be fascinating to see that. I think you were potentially linked with a move for like 20 million. He's gone for like 80 million. Was that true? Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. I'm with my right hand man Dej and he's sitting on my right. Yeah. How are you today bro? I'm doing good, you know, another day, another training ground. Today we're fortunate to be at Brentford's training ground. They've had a brilliant season so far, you know, guaranteed ninth in the table. So we're here to talk about or talk to one of the main men behind the scenes about the job that he's been doing and the club has been doing to like make sure they stay, you know, ahead of the ship. No, definitely. Um, Brentford have had a fantastic season and we're delighted to announce that we're joined in great company with Brentford's technical director, Lee Dax. Welcome, 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 Lee. Welcome. Making me blush. (laughs) Three years in the making. Yeah, three years I've been speaking to Lee and he said, once we get promoted, I'll jump onto the podcast and two years later we're here. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, you know, we... uh, I did say that to you, and we don't celebrate anything really at the club because we're always looking to the next moment. But uh, he got promoted. Um, then it's about thriving, um, not so just surviving in the Premier League. And uh, so we wanted to get through a couple of seasons before we got the main guys down, you know. <laughs> we appreciate that. We appreciate now, very quickly, before we kick off, I just want to plug the socials. Twitter, at podcast underscore TBG. Instagram, at pod underscore TBG. TikTok, where our clips are getting hundreds of thousands yeah. of views at TBG Pod. Like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and leave a comment because that helps the algorithm and helps us get guests like Lee onto the platform. So, Lee, take us back to the beginning. How did your journey in football start? Uh, well, it probably started when I got injured, to be honest with you. Um, kick started, you know, more of a rugby league player when I was younger um, from a rugby city in Hull. Uh, and always loved football more than rugby, if I'm being honest. 
not a lot of people are like that back home. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of came away from the pro opportunity in rugby league and and started to go down the semi the semi uh, pro route in football and just ruptured my ACL. I uh, didn't even know I did it when I did it. There was no real uh, medical science supporting us at that stage. Um, and when I did it, my daughter was born and I was trying to build a company actually with my with my family, uh, my, my brother-in-law at the time. So it became sort of last priority uh, to get back playing. Um, and that was when, I think my mum said to me, go and teach others that, you know, what you taught yourself effectively. And I always remember them words and sort of went into coaching, got a job at Rotherham United's Academy, um, four or five years there, coaching the younger younger players, sort of steadily, you know, getting the older players under under my coaching wing, if you like, and just got an opportunity with uh, going into scouting. And I was always interested in uh, why I wasn't found, <laughs> effectively. Six foot three, quick. <laughs> Oh, I had a touch like a bit of a trampoline, but you know, <laughs> I, I could run, I could finish, and uh, I was a bit of a problem for defenders. I played midfield, right wing, striker. Um, if I'd have recruited me back then, I'd have, I'd have developed me into a number nine. But um, well, like Holland, yeah, like Tony, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a bit of everything. Um, but um, but yeah, so that was kind of the. I had a real niggling thing in me that I wanted to, even though I love coaching, I wanted to go down the recruitment route and find out what all that was about. And it just came by by chance, really. I was I was working for Oven United Academy. I was networking effectively whenever I had an opportunity. Uh, and it was actually Steve Evans' brother, G. Evans, who reached out to me and sort of gave me an opportunity to do some recruitment for Crawley Town at the, at the time. And I jumped at it, give up the coaching because I, I had a bit of a yeah couldn't couldn't do couldn't do the two because of conflict or potential conflict certainly in the next year because joined them in the conference, um, promoted into League Two, and then promoted into uh, League One in the end. And at that point, uh, Steve had left or agreed to take over Rotherham by by chance. That I left and I didn't really want to go back there, so. Uh, obviously, had a really good start, recruited some good players, obviously two promotions, um, and then arrived at a point where I joined uh, Notts County in League One. A couple of good seasons there. Um, Keith Cow was the manager, and uh, it just came to a point where Keith got the sack. I, I stayed on for a period, and then the new coaching team brought the wrong people in, but I'd started to do a little bit anyway, or thinking to do a little bit with Lee Johnson at Oldham Athletic when he got the job. And he didn't really have the budget at the time, so I spent five or six months with Lee, helping him save the club in his first year, uh, working with Matt Hawking, who was who was Lee's guy at the point uh, at that time. And, and it, was, it was sort of around 2014 when I just got a call off Lee in the summer. He said, I've got a job, Matt's going to Burnley. I want somebody in at a recruitment, football operations, everything you, you can you can think of doing. I, I sort of was asked to do, uh, and I joined him. And since that day, getting into that uh, full time football role and and really 
profiting from being around the players and the changing room and the day-to-day. Um, so I did me really well. And from there, <clears throat> I joined him on next to nothing. He knows this. Um, unfortunately, three months later, I had to think about my financial side and, and Keith Kelly got the job at Carlisle. And he'd offered us a role, which was effectively, it was head of recruitment and football operations, but it was more um, assistant manager. It was more, at the lower leagues then, it was looking <laughs> back now. Yeah, <laughs> looking, looking back now, I was effectively a sporting director under Keith. Like, all the stuff we used to do, all the challenges we, that we faced. Um, and I had some top times at Carlisle. Like, Keith's a top fella. Um, Colin West, who was with him at the time. Simon Tracy, who works with us now here at Brentford. Yeah. Um, we had some really good times there. And we nearly uh, achieved promotion. Uh, we had a bit bit of bad luck in terms of injuries and selling strikers. And, you know, in that season where we was, we eventually finished in the playoffs. It's actually Ollie Watkins who, uh, who sealed our fate in that semi-final <laughs> for Exeter. Um, but some top times. And then... Whilst I was at Carlisle, that was the moment for me. Like I was, I was looking at this club um, that before we got there, in my opinion, overspent on players, uh, and there was nobody really looking after the pennies and looking after the longevity of of the club. It was always given to the manager, and I think that's always dangerous. And if you think about this club, the way we do things. It's not that way. The manager's a big part, um, but it, the safeguarding of the club is always at the forefront of everybody's mind. So I really was interested. I started looking at, you know, foreign structures, Valencia's, Bruce Dortmund's, a lot of German clubs actually at the time. And when I transitioned officially, which was about halfway through my Carlisle United career, I, I went from head of recruitment officially to assistant manager. So I was more at our games now. I was officially at our games. I was coaching day to day. So getting out to games was really challenging. So I tried, it took me a while, but I developed my own sort of numbers mechanism. You can call it an algorithm if you like. Where oh, I'd, so you develop that yourself? Yeah, you yeah. Because so, I know you own your own sort of database company, the effective yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a company as such, but a, but a method. Yeah. Um, and that's what I kind of built at Carlisle to help me because I couldn't go to any games. I just didn't have the time. We had the responsibilities, obviously, day to day in Carlisle. Carlisle is very far away, <laughs> so getting even to Leicester to watch a U23 game is 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 sometimes five six hours round trip in traffic. So it was t- it was tough. So the numbers give me an answer to, uh, to a problem. There's a solution, huh? And it effectively, just very briefly, give me, I developed a mechanism where I could find out the best players without sending the scouts on that initial trip. And then that filtered the process and we could make quick decisions. And it worked well for us at Carlisle. We, we found some good players. So what was that light bulb moment that you had to make you think of this system? Honestly, it was time. I mean, Carlisle was, is a great club. Andrew Jenkins, um, the chairman there, is wow, what a fella. John Nixon, um, great guy, uh, some really good people at the club, and they never once not paid us our money, but there was always moments where you felt, wow, you know, we might not get paid this month, or 
were really close to the edge here, especially in that first season when there was there was a fear of relegation. So I was like, wow, like how do how do clubs get to this? How do they how do they just take a chance on giving somebody a two year deal on X amount a week, which is beyond their means, and take a chance that fans actually want to come and watch them play football? And that was the moment where I started to go, hmm, interesting. So when it was coming to an end at Carlisle in that sort of last season when we'd had that super season sort of tailored off a little bit, I knew that it was time to change. We knew we'd already had conversations with the club and I'd sort of made my decision that I wanted to go on my own path rather than go and get another job with, with Keith. I wanted to really explore the sporting director role, but there's no roles. Yeah. There's nobody like, I wasn't going to get a job in the Premier League. The championship was a bit of a stretch. Nobody really understood it. And it was actually through Keith. So Keith had gone for uh, the manager job at Bury. And the way me and Keith used to work was he just said, look, if there's a player, you say yes, we'll sign him. Wow. It was yes or no. And obviously I involved all the coaches of, you know, to safeguard the process a little bit. But that was the, that was the relationship we had. Lots of trust. Um, and he'd gone in. Uh, presented well. Then they wanted to speak about players, so obviously he took me in, spoke to the uh, board of directors at the time, um, impressed them. Keith went in for a third interview and they couldn't agree terms. Mm -hmm. uh, and they decided to go with Ryan Lowe, who was in situ as caretaker manager. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was that. And we was like, he was like, look, can't get this one. He said, if you, you know, if you get a job, fine. I'll let you know when I'm back in. Normal conversations. Anyway, the phone rang, it was the guys that sort of saw in that second interview and they said, look, we do see the value in a sporting director. And that was golden moment for me. And it was a club that needed help. Like they, they too, like Carlisle a little bit, but much worse, was in a negative situation. So I really saw it as a bit of a challenge. So I took that role, sporting director, uh, first in Bury's history. Uh, did not envisage the next 12 months what would happen. Um, but Stuart Day, the guy who brought me in, there's a lot said about Stuart, but he did have the vision to go, we need something. Um, and I was, you know, we went in there and Ryan assisted with me, you know, with this as well. We signed 16 players that summer for a total of 1.1 million gross, which was crazy. Whereas there was three players there on nearly that, you know, yeah. <laughs> when we walked in. So... And obviously on the on the pitch that year, I think the the youth team uh, broke a broke a sixty year record. They got to the quarterfinals of the FA Youth Cup. We sold, I think it was seven 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 hundred and fifty k players. Ryan obviously helped the team get promoted, so it was promoted from League Two to League One. But part of the way through the season, the ownership changed, and a new guy came in, uh, said all the right things initially, uh, but it turned out to be a little bit of a a bad situation. So all the good work we'd done, I couldn't, nobody could really sell it because there was so much uh, smoke from the ownership, but lots of good things done on the pitch. And luckily for me, um, Brentford was recruiting for uh, head of recruitment. Now, I think that was 2019 early, 2019, I joined Barry in 2018 and rolled back sort of six months, unfortunately, here at the club, a big uh, profile, Rob Rowan had lost his life um, and he was technical director. 
But before Robert got the job, I'd shown an interest in it. Didn't know Robert at the time. And that's how me and Phil started speaking initially. Um, oh, so you approached <coughs> Brentford with your sort of ideas about it was around, the project? Yeah, it was around the, around the time before I joined Bury. Um, but Robert got the job. You know, they promoted internally. I later found out how, how good he was and never met the guy, but, you know, very good things said about him. And uh, unfortunately, you know, Rob lost his life at a young age. I think he was 28 at the time for a heart issue. Um, you know, but then they'd advertised the role, called Phil. Do you think I'd, you know, do you think it'd be right for me to apply? Yeah, apply. Uh, applied, went through the process. Knew what was going on at Bury. Although we promoted, it was, there was something in the background telling me you need to make this step. Lots of people was telling me get in the championship, internationally recognised league. Um, and it was a tough decision at the time because I was coming away from sporting director, right, to head a recruitment, which is a bit of a backward step in role terms. But the club, as soon as I met Phil and Rasmus um, and read up about Matthew Benham, I was sold. So kind of knew I was going to Brentford in the summer of 2019 and that's how I kind of arrived at that point. Wow, it's been a hell of a journey. I think you summarised <laughs> yeah. that perfectly. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, let's say, where you're at now, what skills did you learn from, I don't know, your playing, coaching days that you've also transferred into being a technical director? Uh, I think one of the things that Phil will say he liked and Rasmus at the time, who sort of, you know, led the process and appointed me in the end, was they liked that, obviously, I'd found a solution through numbers. That's very aligned to the club. They loved the fact that I had a coaching experience and background because then I could challenge coaches in terms of, you know, players to sign and, and have that interaction with them. I understand what football looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and the third thing they, they loved was I was very process and structure driven. So even at Carlisle where I effectively had a yes and it was going through, I designed processes around that to make sure that a lot of people were saying yes. Um, <clears throat> so I think there was the three key things that uh, they liked. Plus, I think they saw my ambition and my determination. And when they reference checked me, um, I would like to say that, you know, a lot of people, including Phil, Phil will probably say my number one attribute is the fact that, you know, I work hard. And, and all them things together uh, sort of brought me brought me the, the luck to get the job so moving on to this season how would you sort of assess it obviously we've got one more game left um, so how would you assess Brentford's season so far incredible really yeah. um, there's the first season was really good um, 13th position 46 points fantastic uh, in that first season, we signed Christian Eriksen. And I think that outside the club, there was a lot of people linking Eriksen to the success. And we did play better with Eriksen. There's no two ways about it. I mean, he's a top player. But we have some good players as well. So I think there was, in many ways, I think a lot of the players that were in the club and everybody associated with the club were like, listen, we're a good team. Like we're a good club, first and foremost. So it's not just about one person and it never will be here. So this season has been a bit um, a bit of a challenge for everybody, I suppose, to say second year syndrome, don't believe in that. Um, no Christian Eriksen, step up Matthias Jensen. 
and and that kind of belief within within the club. And I'm so pleased for everybody that you know we sit here guaranteed ninth position now, could finish seventh if everything goes our way. Um, it's incredible for somebody like us that uh, I think we're in the bottom three of the budget schedule in the Premier League, and a lot of them players that got promoted with us still play for us and. We've acquired people at the right time and we've not panicked in any situation. Um, and we're just steadily taking steps forward. And our record against the top six clubs this year is just incredible. And I think that's testament to the coaching staff mainly. Um, but we've got some top players and some top people. And, and I'm just so pleased for everybody that we've taken that step forward again. Yeah, so like we like to champion behind the scenes of this podcast. But I think the manager, the players, everyone sees Ivan Tony, Thomas Frank, you know, in the media. But I think behind the scenes, a lot of, you know, legwork goes on to make sure a club's successful. So if you could just give us an idea on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, what the team behind the scenes do to make sure the club are, are universal success. Yeah, I think, listen, the first person I should champion is Phil Giles. Phil Giles, the director of football, and um, halfway through that first Premier League season, um, he was given the shock that Rasmus was going to leave uh, at that halfway point, so before that January window. So he'd um, he's had to think about how he sort of restructures that that process and fortunate for me I was I was a big part in that but he also brought on a guy called Ben Ryan who's director of elite performance and and identified a key marginal gain opportunity in the performance the day-to-day performance of everything um, and obviously we have Thomas and and just you know renewing Thomas's contract and making sure that Thomas is bought into the longer term of the club he'd sort of set free people up to help him take it on to the next level. Um, but there's so many people at the club, I, I won't be able to mention them all, but if you, Lisa Stelhorn, who's the club secretary, she's been here 30 years. She's seen everything. <laughs> you know, Chris, who's over there, has been here eight years. And and Chris Wickham's been here since the league, uh, the league two days, who's head of media. And there's just so many people like that. You know, the stadium announcer, I think, is 50 plus years. Wow. And all these all these people have been through far way more than than what I've been through, and I feel as I've been here ten years with what's happened since I've joined the club. Um, and I think we always try. I mean, we show recruitment video to all of the new players uh, that we're trying to sign, and it's got all them the majority of them people on that video because we want to embrace what Brentford's all about. There's 23 nationalities in our club. Like we're not a small club in terms of. Um, worldwide knowledge of Brentford. Everybody knows what Brentford is all about now, I think, from a worldwide perspective, especially given the Premier League status now. But we try and do things differently. If, if, if there's two things, if there's two people or two resources in uh, and we're trying to make a decision between the two, we'll always go down the different route. We'll always try something new because we're always searching for that marginal game moment. Um, and everybody behind the scenes is, is, is of that mindset. And how do you, just very quickly, I know you can't tell us your secrets, but like, how do you go about identifying talent? Because I've spoken to, you know, some players that, you know, played at the club and they've said, listen, when we went into Brentford, the pitch that they gave us was mind-blowing. So how do you guys go about identifying talent? 
Well, that's a big thing. So there's identify, identifying and then there's, then there's convincing, right? Yeah, selling the project. Because we have to do that. We're always, uh, we're always in, in competition with some, some big clubs. And it, even more dangerous in the Premier League. Because, you know, if, if news breaks that you're in for a player, this has happened. <laughs> Somebody comes in, takes them five days, that player's gone, right? That, that can happen. Um, where, you know, there's not just us there, Brighton, obviously, having a fantastic season there in the same boat. Um, but the pitch that we sell is we know we're taking players when they're not necessarily ready for this level. And that's not going to affect the game time. No way. Our owner wants us. It's a strategy to play young players. When we sign them, there's no, or they're not experienced enough, they're not ready. It's we'll get them ready and, and we get them ready by effectively getting them on the pitch. Um, and that's what we say to them. We obviously go through the technical detail, the tactical detail. Thomas plays a big part in that as well. Um, but I hear it all the time. And again, we won't be the only club, but we've gone against superpowers in football. That's who we're competing with now. Uh, Juventus, Bayern Munich. And for whatever reason, our pitch is different. We want it to be different, but it's, it's uh, relevant to the person that we're selling it to. And not just the player, the family, the representatives. Um, we make them a promise and we deliver on that promise. And I think that's what they like. Yeah, I was listening to David Ware on Sky Sports yesterday, who helps with the recruitment at Brighton. And he was saying that we're aware that we're not going to be the final destination, that players mm. will ultimately come here maybe to stay there for a year or two to develop their careers and move on to a bigger platform. Is that similar to the way you see a Brentford? Yeah, we always say to a player, look, if everything goes right, two, three years, and you should be going to a, a bigger club. Now, before we became a Premier League club, that was an easy conversation because we're saying, well, you know, you've got 20 Premier League clubs there. They'll all potentially take you if you're the best championship player. Um, now, we don't want to sell to West Ham like we have done. We don't want to sell to Aston Villa necessarily. Our market is probably eight clubs worldwide we've got the money to maybe acquire one of our talents and they're probably the top six Premier League clubs or they might be top eight now actually so if you said ten and then maybe two on the continent that have the money to pay um, top money for our for our stars so we do say it but we also say we've got lofty ambitions ourselves our owner wants to win the league <laughs> and and if you think about it it happened with Leicester they just acquired some top talents and they had a bit of momentum top manager, top experienced pros around the group. And you see what's happened with Brighton this year as well. It's not as far away as you people think. Is Brentford going to ever win the Premier League? Who knows? But we've got to have that ambition. Um, and it comes largely from people and player recruitment. Get the right people, get the right players, get the right mix. And, and you take a positive step forward. But I think players buy into that. Like They buy into the ambition, they see the ambition. They come to the training ground. We used to hide them from the training ground because well, it was because of the porter cabins. <laughs> this this room effectively was uh, was the dining room, the gym, the media room, everything. And um, we used to hide them from this. 
then when the signs, what can they do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when the stadium got built, it was a lot easier. And then we showed around the stadium. Oh, yeah, tra- <laughs> training ground shook because of COVID. Uh, you know, we'll to show you later. <laughs> um, but now we're like, yeah, come and see it. Because that's that training ground over there, the building's absolutely fantastic. Um, and in a period where we're bringing the academy back on board as well, because, you know, we have to as a Premier League club. Uh, 18. Is that a standard requirement now that you yeah, 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 you kind so of. Yeah, you've got the B team structure. Yeah, we love the B team structure, really works for us. Um, but now the building is designed 18s, B team, first team, and it's aspirational, make the step. Um, but the academy's come at the right time with the GBE conditions that changed in 2020 and the visa when we came out of the EU. Yeah. Players needing visas now. The negative was that we couldn't necessarily go and get players that were playing League Two in France. So, to put it in perspective, Morpé, Ben Rama, and Umbuemo, we wouldn't have got through the GB. So, like, good players, right? And, uh, and Vitaliano as well. And that really hits home. But the opportunity came then to go into South America for the first time and take players and it became a point schedule so having an academy was good timing to build that because obviously young young homegrown players are at a premium then when everybody's trying to take them because of the visa restrictions that are now in place worldwide so we embraced it uh we're gonna try and have the best academy we can do uh and yeah we're just behind the scenes we'll try to pull all that together as well in terms of recruitment, I believe it's the most important part of a football club. So do I. <laughs> of course he's going to do that. <laughs> because like, when you look, I remember when we were working on Sky, they asked me, okay, who's done the best business? I said Arsenal, and they almost won the league. Who's done the worst business? Leicester, and they're sort of on the brink of relegation. Would you say football's as simple as that? Bad recruitment equals, you know, poor performances, and, you know, a team can potentially you know, go backwards and good recruitment means that you're a success. Yeah, but you can never rest on your laurels. So, you know, Leicester, Premier League champions, FA Cup champions, now they're in trouble. And it's because they stopped that, what you're saying, good recruitment or even player recruitment in general because they didn't sign many players in the last windows. And that's a problem. They also lost Kasper Schmeichel, who was a big, big part of that dressing room. Um, And if you take your foot off the gas in this league, you're in trouble because there's an argument to say you need to spend an element of money just to stay relevant. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've got to look past all of that. Our strategy still remains undervalued talent. Can we get them as early as possible? The timing's got to be key um, so that we can do a real job with them, get them in the team, do the fit the squad mixture that we're looking for. Uh, but yeah, player recruitment's massive. And the, moving the needle in player recruitment, in my opinion, is easier than moving the needle in coaching yeah because the coaching aspect obviously takes a lot longer to develop a group of players and to really turn them especially if they're a good position just just giving them that little bit more and getting that little bit more out of them whereas if you acquire three or four good players in a transfer window and it takes you on to a next step that assists the coaching and then you you really take a step forward Everybody included in, in Brentford's success, like the coaches have been fantastic. I'm not saying that they haven't done a fantastic job, but recruitment in general, recruiting good people, not just good players, 
you know, we're the best set-piece team in the world at the moment, yeah? It's because we've got the best set-piece coach as well, not just because of our mindset around, oh, let's be good at set plays. Obviously, we've acquired the players. Thomas drills it home with the coaches on a regular that we, we want to become, you know, top at set plays. But to score 25 set play goals in a Premier League season, it's incredible. And that's just one arm of the strategy. But the recruitment goes into all of that. How do we step forward in all directions? Yeah, so you've had a hand in, as you mentioned, some big transfers in Wemo, Ivan Tony. despite a lot of people saying, that, hmm, I'll stay well away from that signing. So yeah. what was it about Ivan that you said, no, I'm going to take the risk and sign him? Uh, it was a surreal moment, really, uh, at one stage of that process. We was we just got beat two one in the final to Fulham in the playoff final that year, and I was in the Wembley suite, uh, the chairman suite with the with the uh, with Matthew Rasmus and Phil. All of us are annoyed and and more annoyed that we could have finished it in the season really than than what had happened in the in the playoffs, and then it was just like. Not me. Then was just like, yeah, well, you know, we we know where we've gone wrong. Let's go and sign Ivan, and that was five minutes. Five minutes. Yeah. Obviously, we done all the work. We tried to yeah, get Ivan yeah, in that yeah. January. Yeah. So we tried. We wanted Ivan and Dolly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but we tried to get him in that January. Uh, Darren McCartney didn't want to let him go uh, for obvious reasons, um, and so we he was he was our main target going in the summer. And we we officially started working on that in 2019 before we signed him in um, 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took a long time uh, from meeting his dad in a stool crawl in, in Northampton um, to constantly trying to get in front of Ivan uh, to, you know, putting the pitch together, me and Thomas and... And you know, we've got you. <laughs> Once we get you in, there's no reason. Um, but yeah, we got him in and 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 did a good job with him. And then I think, in truth, he was he was uh, he was holding out for a prem move. We was a championship club then, and there was nobody coming for him. And I was like, what? How is somebody not coming for this guy? Not not to make him a star, but get him in your squad. Yeah, yeah. this guy's top. Um. But I do get it. Like, if you've not done a thorough process on Ivan, you sort of don't see what he's all about, you know? Um, so I'm, what was the, like, maybe negative feedback that you were getting about when you would call up other people? And- well, I, I, I didn't really get any negative feedback as such because I wasn't searching for that. I was certain that this guy was going to replace Ollie. And it, it was different, but, you know, he was the best available striker at the time uh, to to take us forward. Um I always remember meeting Ivan and I said, I said, you know, when we ran your data, like, you know, you know, you most like, and he went, oh, I went, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And he was like, no, Zlatan's like me. <laughs> and I was just like, just like, wow, like this kid's ready. Uh, and he was everything we needed at the time. But I had some good knowledge on him because obviously I was at Cal United. He was at, he got his move to Newcastle. I remember him making his debut and say, you know, helping to save Northampton that year when they nearly got relegated. I think Chris Wilder was there then. Um, and he got his move to Newcastle and he, wanted, he didn't really go well for him. He'll admit this, that, you know, everything contributed to that. 
So I used to watch him in the 23s. And we had Charlie Wake at the time. And we sold Charlie Wake to Bradford. And I was trying to look at Ivan, but he was going to like League One and we couldn't really get uh, any sort of movement on it. And then as soon as I came, I was just, you know, his agent was doing a good job, to be fair, you know, putting him into us. And I was a bit like, mm, is, is now the timing when in that first summer 2019? And I didn't think it was. Um, and we was going for some some other talents, obviously Brian and Bremo that summer. Uh, and we just, every time I watched him, he, he was the best player on the pitch by a mile. Like by a mile, he, he didn't even have to score. And every time he played, whether the defenders, whether there was three centre-backs, just they couldn't deal with him. He was, yeah. he was on a different stratosphere in terms of his game knowledge. And he does play the game like a game of snooker. He always knows two or three passes in front. And, and I was just sold. And getting it done, um, I remember the... Because by this point, I'd convinced Rasmus that he was the one. And Raz, Raz actually, I remember the email he sent out to everybody when, was an, when we was getting everything ready. And he said, we have just acquired one of the top talents in English football. And he was right. Uh, we did do that. Mm, so it's obviously, speaking of Ivan Tony, you know, 20 goals in the Premier League this season. Fantastic all-round striker for me. One of the best in England. Obviously, his contract is 18 months. There's 18 months left on his contract. And you always hear whispers about other clubs whispering in terms of, you know, potentially trying to take him out of Brentford. What's the latest? Have you held talks with him about a new contract by any chance? Uh, listen, I think we won't speak about that today, but we, we value Ivan. We'd have Ivan at the club for life. Um, so we're more than in, interested in, in you know extending his stay with us. But I think Ivan's at a point now where he's just got some very bad news. So he's gone 20 goals in the Premier League, in the England international uh, on a high. And with this hanging over him, you know, you wouldn't think he had anything hanging over him. That's the way Ivan is. He's just been top level. Uh, he needs to take a bit of a break now, and and the way I see it is seven, you know, seventeenth September is back in the building. Seventeenth of January is back for selection, and uh, fully, I fully uh, expect him to play for Brentford for, for for years, years, years forward. Yeah, we're not going to talk too much about the charge and stuff like that. I'm more thinking about the aftercare in terms of his yeah. mental health. Yeah. You know, we're in an era now where people are sort of saying you got to look out for people's mental health. And apparently he's not been able to train with Brentford. Do mm. you have any sort of view on that? Um, I think Gareth Southgate summed it up well yesterday, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's dangerous um, to suggest that somebody comes away from a, a football community for a period of time. Um, that's a dangerous road to go down because you're effectively taking away all the support that he probably needs. Um, but, you know, he's he's done something. He's, he's been banned and, and Ivan will accept that uh, and we'll work with him to make sure that he's got the best available support around him so that he comes back uh, in great shape. Um, I think it was a touch of class for Gareth to call him and to suggest that you're still a player that I like and I'll be looking for you again in the future. I think that's top level by him. Yeah, so we've spoken about recruitment, the honours that you've had in terms of identifying this talent. And in football, if someone's doing well, that brings potential suitors, that brings the eyeballs. And over the last 12 to 18 months, I've been seeing your name hot in the press, linked to Man United, Chelsea, you know, and most recently Tottenham. I saw your name doing the rounds. 
because obviously Daniel Levy's restructuring the whole sort of setup in Tottenham. And I saw Fabrizio Romano sort of <laughs> measuring <laughs> Dykes on the list. Obviously, no disrespect to Brentford. I know you're happy at the club. But have the club sort of been approached by a bigger club sort of asking about your services? No. No, they, listen, I think... I think myself, Thomas Frank, Phil Giles, everybody at the club that does a good job, um, there'll be lots of interest. There should be. It's, like, it's only the same as our players doing well. Ivan Tony, Brian Buemo, Ethan Pinnock, all these players. Um, listen, I've, I've seen the rumours. Um, it's fantastic to be linked with all them clubs. But I'm in a top club here. They give me everything. They allow me to do my job. They back me. So story, so before I came to Brentford, the most I'd spent on a player was 50k. Wow. Yeah? So it comes to Brentford and we know that, you know, Morpe, uh, Watkins, Ben Rama, they all had sort of money's in for them. Uh, we, we, in the end, all managed to keep two of them and sell Morpe. Even Canos at the time, I think, had a bit of interest. So I was tasked with finding a top forward player. So I came across this guy, Brian Umbuelo. I was like, wow, this kid can play. Yeah. But obviously I'd not worked in the championship, so I knew he could play, but I'm like, is he ready, is he ready, is he ready? And uh, I always remember the conversation with Rasmus. I said, Raz, we, you know, we've got an opportunity to do this deal, but we need to get into Trois. We need to meet the club, meet the player. Thomas needs to come. And we're in the week prior to the season starting against Birmingham, right? So, so he's like, well, we've got to do it on Wednesday then. I said, but there's no, like, airports are too far. Like, I don't know how to do it. He went, don't worry about it. I'll have a word with Matt. Gets on the phone to Matt. And Matt's like, yeah, yeah, you know, book a private jet, get a private jet in the air. Now, I don't like flying anyway. But, so this is all surreal. To me. Private jet? Like, what's this, what's this about? And it was surreal day. Me, Thomas and Rasmus sort of get in the air. I'm like this in, in the plane. Like I can see the cockpit and everything. That never happens to me when I'm usually I just close my eyes and hope for the best. And 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 we get in the air, we goes to Twa. Uh we lands two hours, I think it was, from where it was to 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 where we needed to meet the club initially, doing things properly, sort the deal out with the club, then go meet the player. Gets in front of the player, does the pitch, and then it just goes boom because the agent's asking for too, too much money. So the, the actual day just fell. And I was like, oh my God. Like I've convinced Rasmus to get this private jet in the air and we've come here and it's not going anywhere. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> but, but my point is, from a, from a guy that's come from the lower levels that had no championship or Premier League experience and I'm saying this kid's, he's the one we need to go for. And that was a 5 million transfer potentially. 50K to They just went... Bang. So when I say I'm at a top club, the decision making's quick. That's a big thing as well for us. We see some of it, we work early, we we get an answer that we can do that through Phil and, and Matthew now. And I think you always, in my line of work as technical director, obviously a big part is still recruitment, but player pathways, con- you know, making sure our players have the best chance to get through. Analysis, loan now, we, we have lots of play- people on loan. Research and develop new new ways to, to innovate, um, and just generally trying to step the club forward. If you can get quick decisions, you're working with good people. That's what you want, yeah, you know. 100%. And and 
love the interest. I think that's recognition that, you know, you're doing a good job. It's not just about me. You know, I couldn't do my job without all the other people. Um, but it'll take some top to take me away from this moment. Yeah, but I think Fabrizio said it will take a massive bid because people in recruitment now, you're seen as a player because it can cost five to ten million to get you out because of the sort of work. Wouldn't be saying that if they saw me touch or like all them years back. <laughs> so, yeah, when you're sort of telling us that story, I'm thinking about Tottenham and Tottenham fans will sort of say, this is everything we need. We're slow in the market. We're spending too much money on players that are not delivering. And I saw recently that Daniel Levy wants to sort of implement a more data-driven model. Mm. So if they came to Tottenham with, I don't know, a bid and you were able to talk to them, would that be of interest? Or are you just solely committed? All of that is, it means nothing because, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Brentford technical director, great position. Um, I would probably say no because I'm happy at Brentford. And there's some stuff to do here as well, by the way. Like, we could be in Europe come Sunday. Yep. It's a long shot, but we've got plans to step this club forward. Um, so would you be open to signing a new contract? Because I know you've only been in situ for maybe a year as technical director. You should be my agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want that commission. <laughs> um, no, no, I've got a contract, a long contract. Um, listen, the, the, the club are good at that. Matthew and Phil are very good at noticing when when somebody does a good job and they'll reward that as they see fit um from my perspective it's a busy summer uh we've got to finish the game on on sunday see where we're at uh and 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 we've got some big business to do in the summer because we've, we're going to have interest in our players and we need to be as much as we're a proactive club we also have a look have to be a little bit reactive we have a plan going into the summer plans always change um but listen all that for me uh, Tottenham's what's happening at Chelsea now what will be will be if, if, if there was ever interested in me or Thomas or Phil or our fantastic set piece coach or Kevin O'Connor Justin Cochrane, then they need to do what they need to do they need to contact the club Do you almost fear being too successful because I, you know I, I asked them Paul Barber similar in terms of overachieving so much that your players are going to call interest from the top clubs for example at Brighton we see the Matomas the Calcedos the McAllisters and like for example at your club right now David Raya um, apparently you guys have offered him multiple contract offers and he's rejected them so where do you stand on like the David Raya situation? Well we, we sat in front of David and said listen if you go if you go beyond us then that's the time for you to go. And, and I think he's one of the best in the Premier League, So, which puts him one of the best in the world. So he's at a really good moment as a goalkeeper and he's well within his rights to say, look, I, you know, maybe I just want to explore my options. It's fine. No props. Like we, we signed him again in 2019, that first summer. Um, again, I'd seen him come through, like his loan spells in the lower leagues and, you know, really develop at Blackburn. Um, and it was a great deal for us, but effectively we've had a plan with him and, and we're okay with that we're okay with that we'll you know we'll we'll replace him if we need to replace him or you know he'll, he'll sign a new deal or or he'll stay or, or what will what, be he'll be same with Ivan Tony, Brian Abuemo Ethan Pinnock Aaron Hickey Rico Henry like we have to understand that at Brentford like Brighton there are bigger clubs out there that can potentially have homes for these players and we always 
are of the mindset that if we've helped them get to the very top level, then that's, you know, we've played our part. And as long as the club's remunerated um, adequately for, 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 for any potential transfer, then I'm sure Phil and Matt will make the right decision. Yeah, because I think um, Thomas was sort of asked that question in the press because I think it was being linked to the £20 million move to Tottenham or something like that. Thomas said... Did he laugh? Yeah, he laughed. He said, it's going to take double that to yeah. get him out of Brentford. Yeah. Yeah. So, so would you agree? Obviously, I know we can't talk prices and stuff, but is there a number in the board's head that if we hit this number, we can leave? No. The, the, listen, the market sets itself. So this summer will be a big goalkeeper market. There's a lot of goalkeepers that are going to be available. Yeah, we're um, Liverpool fans, by the way. We keep seeing news about Kelleher sort of being linked to yeah, Brentford right, and he Ke- will sort of take an opportunity. Keller is, maybe, a, Keller is a good goalkeeper. Top goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt in that. Has like he he's, popped yeah. up on the data? <laughs> he's a good goalkeeper. Um, he's not played a lot of games, obviously. He's, he's been in the shadows a little bit at Liverpool. But the market will set itself. And again, Phil and Matt will assess the valuation at the time. Um, my point on David Rayer is you need to pay double because he can play number 10. Mm. Would you so you get, two, you get two positions. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say with like Edison, he's probably the best with the ball at his feet in the Premier League? No. What, you would say right, right? Okay. Rise right up there, yeah. Okay, number one. I wouldn't say he's number one because I don't really do that as a role. Like, <laughs> yeah. Through it and go, oh yeah, he's number one, he's number one. Like Edison, we're never going to take, so. Uh, but Rayer... So I watch him every day in training. He's, he's top level. He top level. Another five million. <laughs> <laughs> good job, good job. Yeah. yeah, another person that's sort of being linked with um, Brentford for this summer is uh, the Coventry striker, Gilkores. I hope I said that correctly. He's having a fantastic season so far. He's going to be playing in the playoff final against Luton. Is he someone that's potentially, has he come up? I think in general, anybody who's doing well in the championship like when we was a championship club, anybody doing well in League One. It's our key market, right? So we're always looking to acquire homegrown talent. I know Guy Carez from when he was at Brighton, uh, U23s, watched him a lot, again, in the previous clubs. Uh, and, and he's been a really good move for him uh, to Coventry. Matt Robbins has done a fantastic job with him. Um, and he's having a really good season. But effectively, if they get promoted at the weekend, got a really good chance. Um, then he'll probably stay with them. Uh, I really like him. I do like him as a footballer. But we cover 85,500 players worldwide, chaps. Come on. like we, we're, we're looking at all these possibilities. It's this forever changing climate. The market's very dynamic. Uh, and I ain't going to give you a clue who we like. Yeah, no, all, I've, all I've heard is that he's Ivan Tony part two. So that's, oh, that's okay. what a lot of contacts are saying in the game. As some player. I don't think Ivan would agree there's any part two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what I wanted to say is that Brentford, obviously, you've sort of been a mystery. But as you finish ninth, obviously, that sort of gap of the plays that you can acquire, because obviously you're doing so well, gets smaller because there's no surprises when you get to a certain level. Like All players are kind of known. So how, how difficult is it to keep finding these hidden gems? Very difficult. Very difficult. We was, uh, I won't say the name, but we we had something agreed for a South American fallback once in recent times. Um, and like I was saying... Now you're a Premier League club, you're a little bit more exposed. Um, news got leaked. Five days later, he was on a plane somewhere else. And that can happen. What, Premier League club? No. Oh. So somewhere else in Europe. But like that can happen. So you've got to be really quick, efficient, 
um, decisive in your decision making uh, when you find that undervalued talent because there'll be other people that sort of caught on to it and people can genuinely use Brentford and other clubs to say oh they're interested and chances are if Brentford are interested or other clubs that have a really good history of scouting then people, people's ears spike up a little bit more so it's, it is challenging with the visa changes as well super challenging now because it sort of re- it cut off a lot of the market for us in the lower leagues scattered around Europe um, that was a ch- that was a real challenge to adapt but again opened up South America there's some more changes coming in this summer uh, that are yet to be announced which could open the market a little bit again for us so we just got to we're going to work where we need to um, I think we worked super early on Kevin Charter yeah yeah so he's come in, he fit the strategy, he was looking for a really quick forward player. Uh, not played loads of games for Freiburg in the Bundesliga, um, but obviously solid German youth international. Uh, and I know for a fact that we was super early in that situation. And I think combined with the power of the presentation and what Thomas says and what I can say in the moments, Phil as well, if you get in there early on a player and you you, you know the player inside out and you can predict their future. It could take two years for you to sign that player, but they'll remember that you were the first ones in. And that's what we always try to do. Yeah, there was even a rumour about Modric. I remember speaking to some contacts saying that Brentford was super close to signing him. Was that true? Obviously, I know he's at Chelsea now, but that would be fascinating to see that. I think you were potentially linked with a move for like 20 million and he's gone for like 80 million. Was that true? We was close on, 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 that, on that particular way. Player, we was close, but you know, Did you get him in the building. No, okay, no, um, but how close are you in any transfer? You know, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember watching Mudrick. Uh, they threw him into a Champions League game at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. I'm like, that, oh no, <laughs> and uh, and then I see he's playing against Carvajal. I'm going, oh no, and uh. I think he got subbed on 72 minutes that game. And the Bernabeu stood up and applauded him off the pitch. Wow. I remember texting somebody at the time saying, might have gone past us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but now, listen, it's no, it's no hidden secret that we like the player. I think he's a super talent. Be interesting to see what happens at Chelsea with him. Another player that I wanted to speak about was Josh De Silva because you mentioned about taking that step from the Championship to the Premiership. We've seen it with David Rea, Eve, Brian and Bremo. They've all come from the Champ, come into the Prem and hit the ground running. And in the last season of the Championship, Josh De Silva was one of the best performers in the Champ, scoring goals with that left foot, running games, running through the midfield, looking like a world-class talent, should I say, in the Championship. So, like... He's kind of had a slow Premier League career so far. What would you put that to? Do you think it's because of the injuries or just maybe lacking a bit of confidence? Yeah, listen, Josh is a top talent as well. Like he, he's, yeah, he's had a slow Premier League career. I think he's got, I think he's got a couple of goals as well. Like he's done well, um, but he's, yeah, yeah, he had an injury towards the end of that championship season, and and which leaked into the Premier League start. Um, then we signed Christian Eriksen in the January, so it became tough for him to play. Uh, but I think he's top level, and he's going to come again. And he's got loads of time to come again as well, by the way. And 
you know, he whenever he's on the pitch, he produces moments. So the Nottingham Forest game at home, when we was really struggling to break him down, um, it was him that was he was the guy that was going to unlock the door, uh, and he did do. And yeah, we're comfortable with the fact that he's going to have super preseason, come back firing again. And by that point, he'll have all of that behind him, and and he should be in a really good position to um, maximise his potential. Yeah, only talks about you. Um, as I said, you've got a burgeoning reputation in the game. I think amongst big footballing circles, you get mentioned for big roles. Like, what's your future? What do you want, sort of, let's say, the next two, three years to look like for Lee Dykes? Just generally, you know, take Brentford forward, um, assisting the main guys, you know, Phil Giles and, and Matthew Benham, who, who, who are at the top of the tree in terms of the football department helping Thomas where we can, working with Ben Ryan and all of the other people at the club uh, just to step us forward. And there'll be challenging moments in the next two or three seasons at Brentford. You know, it's not always going to be a case of ninth, eighth, seventh, sixth. It's not, it's not going to be that. Like, we may, you know, fall back a little bit if we sell a super talent, but it's about, in terms of our measurement strategy and our, and our data analytics, looking at our performance indicators, are we taking steps forward uh, even when we, re, you know, we replace players, uh, and that's all I'm interested in. 38 years of age, fellas, yeah, got loads of time. Hopefully, very, very hopefully. I think you're one of the, or even not the youngest, sort of technical director in, in the Premier League. Well, I don't feel young, <laughs> but but I've got. My point is, I've got loads of time, uh, and I'm in no rush to do anything. And and genuinely, you know, I may see my career out of Brentford. Hopefully, like all. All of the years that are in front, I would love to to be that guy, you know. So, yeah, I, I love the players. The match day at Brentford special. Those Friday nights will cool. never come like a feature right. of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They love it. They love it. Yeah, they love it, and we love it. And the fans are special. The fans are bought into it. They're remaining humble, like we're trying yeah. to to do internally. Um, but in 2019, first season, playoff final loss. Recuperate, go again. Sell two players, go again. Recruit Ivan, a few of us, and get into the Premier League. Sort of stay in the Premier League, but staying well. Like, finish at a very respectable 13th, and then now take a step to a top nine, finish in the Premier League. Just try and, you know, enjoy their moments as well. You know, I'm always like, oh, summer's going to be busy. Uh, we've got loads of stuff to do, but. Specifically on Sunday, I want to enjoy that moment, win, lose or draw. We're Brentford and we're finished top nine in the Premier League. Kings of West London. Imagine both, above Chelsea, above Fulham. I wonder what the dates and the odds would have been on top Brentford. Nine, I, think, yeah. uh, I wonder what those would have been. Juicy ones. Juicy ones. <laughs> it's mental. It's mental. So, you know, when that game finishes, I'll have a beer in my hand. I'll be toasting how successful the season, I think. Everybody associated with Brentford, all the fans especially, will be like, "Wow, this is this is incredible!" And uh, I'm pleased to have played, you know, a small part in that. And everybody can can feel that way on Sunday night. And so, so, so what do you make of the Premier League this season? Because we've seen like teams like Brighton, Brighton, sorry, Brentford finishing within the top top ten. Would you say those, I don't know, perceived smaller clubs have outperformed, or I mean, overperformed, or the bigger teams have underperformed, so to speak? Bit of both, I think. I think obviously, you know, Liverpool have come off it a little bit, albeit you know they've they've taken the Champions League um, fight to the last day, um, even though it seems incredibly difficult. Um, 
Chelsea have had their problems, Tottenham have had their problems. Uh, and I think there's been an opportunity there. It's a little bit like when Leicester won the Premier League. So those people needed to underperform for them to have that opportunity. And I think we've always got to be that club, you know, where we'll do our absolute maximum and best. That might take us to 13th, 14th, 15th in future seasons because everybody else do super well. Um, but when people sort of fall away, we're confident that we can step forward every every season and, and do our best to do that. And we're just going to capitalise on their moments. I think we've capitalised on this moment this year. Like Really, there should be a couple of teams that are underneath us above us. Um, and we just capitalised on that opportunity. And that's testament to the players, coaching staff, everybody associated to the club. Uh, obviously, the players, the coaching staff, they got a lot of plaudits. But, you know, the support staff, you know, even down to the academy, building everything in the right way and the positive vibes that are around the club, remaining humble, um, making sure there's a super positive vibe around the club. That's everybody's responsibility day by day. And if we can continue to do that, then we've got a real opportunity to uh, keep keep finishing above the big boys. <laughs> <laughs> nice way to put it. And Lee, obviously you mentioned the fans earlier, but talk to us about your appreciation of them because I know Brentford fans every time they're DMing me they're saying listen I'm just shocked of how good we're doing the clubs rise from like League One all the way into the Premier League and I know Thomas is probably going to address the fans on the final game of the season but if they had to have a message from you what would you say to the fans for their support this season? Uh, honestly I don't know the club like they do because I've been here four years mm-hmm. um, but they've I've only experienced the good years, right? So they've, you know, they've experienced all the all the hardships and the, and the and the negative times, and that will make the positive times seem an awful lot sweeter than than what I know. Uh, I know a little bit about the history of the club through speaking to you know people at the club, Cliff Crown, uh, John Varney often tell me stories about you know when there was in negative situations. Peter Gillam, who's been at the club for decades, tells me about you know the time that. Know another club down the way tried to take us over and 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 all these things and and I think they just need to enjoy the moment. Um, congratulate the players on Sunday, win, lose or draw, uh, and support us in 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 everything we do going forward. And they do that. Uh, they create a real top atmosphere at at the stadium, and and that is a difference. Like that helps us win games. Thomas will admit this. That helps us win games when when we need it. And continue doing that. Uh, trust in the process. Like we've got some top people at the club. Um, there'll be decisions made at times, and the, and the, and they may question it, but just trust it. You know, we've done we've done a good job, or everybody's done a good job even before my time uh, when Matthew took over the club, and we've constantly, or they've constantly stepped it forward. Um, and I appreciate it, uh, and I know everybody at the club appreciates their support. And without it we wouldn't be a football club. Hmm, so finally from me, what does the summer look like for you? Because you've put in a lot of work. We saw you out there staring at the training pitch, you know, just taking everything in, just sort of taking in the air, you know. So so what are you going to be doing? Well, if you ask my recruitment team, like we go into a window fairly relaxed because we've done all the work, right? All the work has been done and, and before the window opens, we're ready with as much as we can be. So the options that we maybe have in place in all the positions, we work across 
16 positions. So if we change tact in the summer or we're thinking of a different formation, we never get caught out. We then have priority positions, so we solidly know maybe three or four positions we want to invest in in the, in the summer already. Um, but we're just ready to, you know, if them six players fall away, who's the next two or three players that we can bring into the thinking and constantly just trying to have conversations from my perspective with representatives um, and make sure I understand the market and my knowledge of the market has got to be tip-top over the next uh, three or four months and all of the recruitment department will be doing that. Um, and that's what the next three or four months look like. Unfortunately, no holiday for me, um, but I will be going on holiday after the 1st of September somewhere. <laughs> okay. Hopefully very pleased with the business. Mm. Just very quickly, Lee, we want to move on to life outside of football. What do you do to switch off? Because I know your phone's always going off. Text from this agent, text from this director of football. Even text from me. Text from that. annoying you. He's the most. <laughs> How do you switch off? Can you switch off? No, I don't think. I, don't, I generally don't think you can when when you're in this position in a in a football club. But is that healthy? Uh, no, but the the time. I mean, you do get to switch off in terms of. Uh, you don't plan to switch off, but obviously whenever I'm with my kids, Willis and Lexi, like that switches me off because I'm like, no, nothing's more important than this time, you know? Um, and I think family time in general helps you uh, switch off. So that that is a really good thing to sort of buy into and make sure you're constantly doing them things. Um, I don't think you can. I think there's too much to do. In my position, you always think if you're not speaking to the agent or you're not speaking to the next person or you're not watching the next video, who else is doing it? And, and you're just constantly driving yourself to, to make sure you're putting the club in the best available um, position. And everybody's like that at the club. Uh, I think in some ways, when I was in the coaching schedule at Carlisle, because you have a schedule and everything's around when the players are in and everything's around match day, when there's no games and there's no training, you can switch off, right? But even when I say when the, when the transfer window finishes, I, I'll go away. There's still We'll still have 14 players out on loan potentially and we're, we're constantly... We still have the next window to, to sort of get ready for. Um, I, remember, I remember once we was... So the transfer window was finished and I was in Turkey with a family and... Um, I'm thinking, brilliant, yeah, play Leicester. I'll sit down, have a beer, watch the game, really happy with the business. And David Rea has a serious injury. And then you're like, oh my God. So then you're like, free agents, who's ready? <laughs> who's available? And you, and, and you just, it's just a constant. But I love it. Like I love the, I love the buzz it gives you and you're always on your toes. Um, there's always something. And yeah, you don't know what it is, but there'll always be something tomorrow that you're not, planning today and you just got to be super dynamic and resourceful and have the energy to adapt to them situations and I think there's a lot of energy around the club and uh, and yeah so now football no chance Nah Lee it's been an absolute pleasure I beg you for anything yeah, it's else. been I mean the insight you know it's been fantastic you know this is everything I thought it was going to be I've waited two years for it and it <laughs> delivered so thank you very much Lee for, for coming onto the podcast Supporting what we're doing, I really, really appreciate it. No, thank you guys. I've enjoyed it, and and literally, I, I generally have 
uh, tried to put you off for the right moment. Um, there's never a right moment. I've just told, like, looking at my phone there, I've got a bit of work after here to return all these goals. But um, there's never a right moment in football. We've got it done. Uh, and I'm and I'm hoping that, you know, the fans enjoy it. And, uh, and thanks to you guys for coming down to Brentford's training ground to uh, come to me rather than me come to you. <laughs> so the very last one, we've got a closing tradition on this podcast where we ask the guests that we've interviewed to recommend a potential guest for us in the future that you, let me not say you, let me say Chris, is going to help us get onto the platform. So if you had to recommend a guest in football to come onto this podcast, who would that be? It could be anyone, Lee, as well. Uh, I would strongly advise you to go and interview Michael Caulfield, who works for us as a as a bit of a psychologist, but a, oh, yeah, but, a, but, a but a super intelligent, uh, funny, interesting guy, and you'll get a completely different angle into the world of sport, really, because he does he does things not just in football, but he's a he's another top person at the club that's really helped us over the last. Uh, four years in our trajectory and uh, he would be the one I recommend and I think he would absolutely enjoy it. The only thing you'd have to do though is you'd have to do it on his bench that he bought us uh, at the side of the training ground. So. <laughs> we'll take that. Hopefully Con- the light's okay. <laughs> content is content. We're not complaining. <laughs> Thanks Lee. We're going to leave it there. That's another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. Over and out. Until next time. Peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.